0: hello everyone and welcome to ncea podcast this is kevin baxter the chief innovation officer for ncea and welcome to the show for this week we are blessed and gifted to have cindy riles with us cindy is the principal at saint alphonsus school in Greenville springs louisiana and she has uh, written a book for ncea on crisis planning and so we're going to talk a lot about school site crisis leadership and planning Um, and how that applies to local Catholic schools. Uh, We were blessed a couple weeks ago to have uh, Pam Lyons, superintendent for the Archdiocese of San Francisco, um, on our show, and she talked a lot about planning at that diocesan level. So we're looking forward to talk to Cindy about some school site leadership and uh, what goes into that. So, Cindy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be
0: here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And so your book is on crisis planning, and I know it comes from, uh, I don't know if it comes from, but you talk a lot about the flood in Baton Rouge back in 2016. But just to start off, obviously what's relevant on people's minds right now um, is the crisis we're kind of facing with COVID-19 and uh, the impact it's having on schools and so i'm just curious um, how you're viewing that from in terms of saint alphonsus how's it going where you are and uh, what's your what's your anticipation for the coming school year
1: well it's definitely been a challenge and um i've been sort of joking with everyone not really but actually it, it, it could be true that we need to add another chapter to the book Um, I do talk about what happens if there's a a, a pandemic or an epidemic within your school, but I was thinking more along the lines of a flu epidemic, not necessarily a, a worldwide pandemic. It's been a challenge in so many different ways because there are no answers. I found that with the flood or in other crisis situations, we can flip through the book and there are while there's no one size fits all there are procedures we can follow but with this pandemic there are just so many unknowns and the information changes so quickly that that is the biggest challenge i find for our school leaders and and our parents look to us for answers and it's been difficult to say i don't know right now i don't have that answer
0: yeah it's interesting i think that's one of the challenges with this current crisis is that it's It's not some defined event where it comes and it ends and then you start to plan it. It's ongoing and it's really difficult to predict where things are gonna be in a month or two months or six months and that's the challenge, right?
1: Absolutely. When we were dealing with the flood, I felt like um, we were in our little pod and people were reaching out to help us and I knew that the help was out there, but in this situation, because everyone is in the same situation, Um, It's been difficult to, I guess, find the resources that could have the answers for us.
0: Do you know yet if you're going to be in person in the fall? Is that yet known or are you still kind of waiting to see?
1: That's our ultimate goal and that's what we're planning for. Um, Of course, that could change, you know, in the next 24 hours.
0: Right, of course. Well, let's start to talk about the book and uh, we can kind of loop back into COVID-19 if there's uh, some relevance to that. Um, we've already alluded to the fact that, um, I don't know if this was the impetus for the book or not, you can tell us, but the great flood of 2016 that hit Baton Rouge and, and, um, and Louisiana. Talk about that a little bit. Talk about the event and what happened for people who might be listening who aren't um, incredibly familiar with what took place at that point.
1: Well, in Louisiana, we are prone to... Uh heavy rains and thunderstorms. And so we aren't really, flash flooding is something that we prepare for and we we expect it to happen, but we never expected the rain to sit on top of our area for quite so long. So when it, it, it's not an uncommon thing for us to dismiss early because there's fear of a flash flood. And uh, when we dismissed that afternoon, we never dreamed that we would have the extensive flooding that we had, so we did not prepare. It was different from a hurricane where we can pick things up off the floor or uh, just just have things taken care of before we left. We really expected just to be back the next day, situation normal. Uh, our entire community, so much of Baton Rouge um, and the surrounding areas were, were flooded. So I was dealing with, luckily not my own home flooding, because I live um, a, a good ways from the school, but I would say 65% of my faculty and staff's home flooded and uh, a, at least that amount of our school populations, homes and businesses flooded. So it was very difficult to expect our team to come together when their own homes were flooded uh, it was it was definitely one of the most challenging things I've ever been through as a leader.
0: Yeah, and I think we'll, uh, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. You talk about the planning and, and how to make sure staff is prepared for some of these things that come up. So how was the school after the flood? Was the school also damaged?
1: The school was damaged. Um, the interesting thing is that the one building on our campus that is in a flood zone, uh, when they divide our insurance for flood zones, was our, our gym and it, it did not flood. So that was, that was kind of the joke of the day is that the one building in the flood zone didn't flood, but we had anywhere from eight inches to two feet of water in all of our ground floor buildings. So everything from school records to computers, uh, school textbooks, furniture, everything was ruined.
0: So I know your book is about planning um, and this happens. Uh, what was, did you have a plan in place at that point? Or when that's, this happened, what was your thinking as, a, as the principal of the school and and, and seeing all this take place?
1: While it's all material things and it can all be replaced, thinking through, especially moving forward, how we stored things um, where, you know, just, just having the insurance adjusters come on campus and tell us, you know, you need to to think through where you're storing all your important records. You talk about fireproof and waterproof cabinets and those are expensive, but goodness, they're worth it in the long run when you have a tragedy like that. I learned that there are ways to save documents, uh, freeze drying and all these different interesting ways of of, um, retrieving things that were lost. Uh, what can be salvaged? What cannot? What were the health implications? How does mold grow? How quickly does it grow? I became the expert in a lot of things I never expected to deal with.
0: <laughs> yeah. What time of year did the uh, did the flood hit?
1: It was August. Okay. we had only been in school a couple of days, so to, to say it's very hot and humid in August in Louisiana, um, it was it was very difficult to deal with the heat, um, no power. We didn't have power for at least three weeks after the flood hit. So it was very challenging to work in the buildings and and gut and clear things.
0: And so at that immediate uh, moment of uh, the flood hits and then um, how long were the students out of school?
1: We managed to get our students back on campus in 11 days. Wow. Now, what did our campus look like? It looked very different, but our parents were very grateful that we worked literally around the clock to prepare classrooms. We had teams come in that were able to to do the renovations we needed to get our students back in functioning. We didn't have a functioning cafeteria, but our cafeteria health uh, and child nutrition people came together and made a temporary kitchen. I mean, it was just all hands on deck, which was just such a blessing to us.
0: So you talk about 65% of your staff maybe had their homes impacted by this and, and your families maybe about the same percentage. Talk a little bit about that challenge. You're the leader of the school. You obviously have concerns about the school and the kids and getting them back on campus. and and then you're dealing with insurance adjusters. So you've got school issues, you've got staff issues, you've got family issues. How are you prioritizing and how are you thinking all of that through uh, in the days and weeks after the flood hit?
1: It was very challenging to prioritize because I knew what my mission was, um, to basically recover the school and, and have our students and faculty back on campus. Once. I got that priority in order and what was gonna be necessary to do that. I had to think about the emotional implications of having teachers not only have their homes, their family and relatives homes flood, but their classrooms. And what we were able to do is take our teachers whose homes did not flood or their classrooms did not flood and they were mentors and helpers Like I said, the teamwork, if you have that on your in your faculty and staff and you build that before a tragedy or a crisis happens, then you just see the amazing work everybody can do together.
0: Yeah. And I imagine that's um, that's so important. You know, one of the notes I made to myself is that we tend to always prepare based on the last emergency. And we think about it in terms of, okay, so you had a flood and let's prepare for the next flood. And then, you know, uh, making this out earthquake happens or a fire happens, or we have COVID-19 happen, right? And so how you, and you might've just already answered this, but I think we, talking about kind of preparing the faculty to have a culture of understanding about how you respond to these moments is really, really critical because you don't know what the next crisis will be, right?
1: exactly and when i do my presentations to principals i try to get them to understand that as as different as every crisis looks or feels or is in details the recovery is very similar in that you're going to have the physical recovery if you know if you look back to um, something like a school shooting happen happening on a campus just like I had to renovate every building on my campus, if you look back, Sandy Hook was completely torn down. So the world of these teachers and their classrooms and, and the memories that are there, it's very similar preparations that you have to make.
0: Yeah, and I think about that in terms of preparation. I know. Um, so we had situations when I was a principal and then and then I was a superintendent and um, when we had the uh, abuse situation in the early 2000s you know one of the one of the preparations to avoid that was to put glass in all the classroom windows right so there were no more solid doors so you could always see into classrooms even if the door was shut. And this was intended to make sure that no one could ever be totally private within a classroom and that was a good. I think that was a good strategy at the time. And then when the school shootings really started to come up, everyone was saying, we shouldn't have glass in the doors, you know? And I feel like that's an example, too, of trying to think about what are you preparing for? And it's always the current challenge of of what the crisis is or what you're trying to avert. Um, Because sometimes your solution for one might be a limitation for another.
1: Absolutely.
0: So you talk about some tips. Um, a couple of things that I, I struck at me is uh, preparing for kind of the psychological trauma that takes place. We sometimes understand the physical uh, you know, buildings damaged. Um, God forbid, people get hurt or or um, th- that type of thing takes place, and we can see those um, see those more clearly. But talk about the psychological trauma that after effect people um, how do you how do you as a leader really help to make sure that you're addressing that and focused on that
1: I go back to the planning process of it there is nothing that we can do to take away the emotional impact a crisis has i mean that that's just a given however what we can do is Discuss it, talk about it, and pre-plan a little bit. Because I think when we think through something, when I when I team build with my faculty and staff and we do some tabletop exercises, it makes them very uncomfortable to think about something tragic or horrible happening on their campus. And that's okay. That's that's the correct reaction. They should have that reaction. But I think just preconceiving thinking, how would that make me feel, how, how do I think I would react because none of us know until we're actually in a crisis situation. We don't know what type of emotions are going to take over um, for us, and so you know law enforcement, even that you know they still have to deal with the emotional impact of when they respond to a situation so. The pre planning is important, and then I think having something ready to go in place because guidance counseling uh, just having the ability to let everyone know that they can talk about what they're feeling is super important because if they don't address it they're never going to recover
0: yeah Uh, another tip you have and there's some and i know you're uh, it seems like there's a little bit of debate about this is about codes to to provide uh, In the event of something like a a school shooter or some type of tragedy or something going on on campus that you've got to communicate out to staff and i know uh, when i was a principal we didn't have a cafeteria there wasn't a cafeteria at the school and so the code was the principal's on his way to the cafeteria was the code so everyone knew that there was something you know and that was a lockdown call i think if i recall correctly But you say sometimes it's better just to be direct and just to be really clear about what's happening. And so talk a little bit about that uh, as far as one of your tips.
1: What we've found in in studies and looking back, um, I find we learned so much from looking back at a tragedy and while it's very hard to do, we we learn from what worked and what didn't work. And one of the things that came out of um, some of the school tragedies is that a code, well, as long as it was practiced, it was known by the staff, but what if there was a visitor? What if there was a substitute on the campus? Uh, they wouldn't know the code and they wouldn't know how to respond. You know, everyone else is evacuating and they don't know that that message or that particular code meant something. So it's all in the training. I think I tell schools who insist on using a code, that's great, but you need to make sure that everyone knows the code and then everyone is ready to help someone who may not know the code and is visiting your campus
0: yeah and so um, a couple of the chapters you have so one is your uh, putting together your crisis response team and so what's some advice you have for for schools in terms of putting that team together who should be on it what what constituents should be represented
1: it needs to be a, a great mix of faculty, staff, maintenance, uh, including, you know, thinking through all the aspects of of who knows what information on your on your campus. The other thing to consider, and I, I touch lightly on this when I when I present to principals, but I I like them to think about the staff members and how they actually react in different situations. Um, I know I have in my 20 years in the classroom, taught with people who would um, faint on the floor if someone came up with a bloody nose or um, if the fire alarm went off, they would panic. And so you wanna think of the people on your staff who have a level head, a calm demeanor that can stay calm in, in a situation that's important because you wanna make sure that they can remain calm. They're going to be anxious, but they need to remain calm in a crisis situation.
0: You know, I, and I think about this in terms, too, of my experience, obviously, of teachers, and they might have personal children of their own, um, perhaps in the school, or maybe they go to another school. And sometimes when a crisis takes place during the school day, you have to think about who who is going to um, you have to pre-prepare them to make sure they understand that their obligations to the kids in their classroom. Right. And we, I remember we had those conversations because uh, we did have teachers who would have their kids in the schools and they would be in different grades. And if an earth, we would always think earthquake, I was in California. And um, you know, with the earthquake took place, um, you had to make sure that you were focused on your classroom group of students and not worrying about your own personal child, maybe in another classroom. You had to trust the teacher there was going to take care of your, your personal child
1: that is absolutely correct and we talk about that a great deal when we do our tabletop exercises uh, w- with my teachers because I do have several faculty members with with children here um, I also train with law enforcement and they have actually told me that um, when they respond to the school that their children are actually attending that they have to maintain focus that they are there to help the crisis situation and that they can't be thinking about their own children who may be in the school building.
0: And then you talk about site safety assessment to try to walk your plant, really look at that. Um, and so what are some strata? I know you do some partnership with law enforcement, which you just spoke about. How do you, uh, how do you put a group together to really look at your, because oftentimes I think when we're used to a location, we, we know where everything is. So we might not be seeing it as clearly. How do you prepare for and, and lead through that site assessment?
1: that is one of my favorite things to do is have other eyes come on my campus because we pass the same things every day and I may not notice that you know there's a brick that's a tripping hazard or um, that a gate is left unlocked we pass through it several times a day and uh, you know I might be my mind is on other things and I'm not realizing that I'm not seeing a danger that can happen so law enforcement is wonderful a lot of people are um, a little reluctant to have them come to their campus because they feel like maybe they're going to tell them something that they're not able to do but it's not really necessarily to solve the problem it's more to bring it to your attention Um, even something as simple as the bushes need to be trimmed because it's a great hiding place for someone or um, you know, it's obstructing a view for traffic. Just small things like that that another set of eyes can see on your campus and, and just give you some recommendations.
0: And um, we haven't spoken about this yet, but obviously alignment with the parish is very, very important. So I assume you're, because um, I think about that in terms of the whole plant, right? And how how all those aspects of the school plant could be impacted.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things we had to learn in the very, very beginning when, when I came uh, into administration 12 years ago is that exactly that. We are not alone on this campus. M- most of our schools are connected to the church. And so if we would have uh, an intruder situation, I would need to remember and we would train to make sure we've alerted the church staff as well and vice versa. If they have a situation on their campus, they need to remember to alert us. So it's a partnership that has to be there.
0: Yeah. Um, Why do you ask about the students and preparing students for crisis. I was struck in your book. It's on page forty-three. You have a picture of an active shooter training. I think it's uh, from St. Peter's School in Geneva, Illinois, and um, you know all these police officers with the guns coming in, and, and their images we've actually seen tragically when there are school shootings. But this is an active shooter training, and I'm curious about kids because I know there's sometimes conversation about how realistic to do the training. Um, you know, because sometimes the training itself could be scary, especially especially to younger students. So, how do you balance making sure they um, know what to do, but obviously you're not you not, you're, not, you're not creating uh, anxiety and trauma within them just for the training?
1: From my firsthand experience, when I, when I was writing my dissertation, I was very blessed to be partnered with one of our Paris Sheriff's Department who was working on a school training plan with their SWAT teams. And in that training, they debated quite a bit about including students in their training sessions. And in my research and from working, doing many, many of their SWAT team trainings, we found that it is best not to include students when you can. What they chose to do is they would use drama club students. They would use uh, students who they felt could handle the situation. But I will tell you that it can be very traumatizing. They are very realistic. They are very real life. And so I would start with baby steps when it comes to uh, introducing students into a training. And that is just basic discussions, tabletop, what if situations, then moving into the actual, what does this look like in a scenario?
0: Yeah, and I think that's really smart. Obviously, everything has to be age appropriate and um, um, and how we think that through. So that's really, really good advice. You, uh, you have a chapter at the end about recovery, and I think that's a great, um, a great chapter to include because we sometimes think about crisis planning and we're prepping for the crisis. The crisis comes and we get through the crisis. But talk about that recovery process: how you, uh, how you know, post, um, you could post flood um, or post any crisis. How do you really, as a leader, uh, ensure that that community is uh, is healing properly? And what signs or keys are you looking for um, within the community?
1: It is a long process, and in some cases you know, even from the flood, there are still people in our community, several of our students' families who are not even back in their homes yet, and it's been almost four years. So it's a constant recovery effort. And even here on our campus, we will find areas where maybe the uh, reconstruction, we we sort of put the small details on the side so that we could get the bigger uh, picture finished first. So it's an ongoing step steps that have to be taken emotionally and on the physical side of it as well it it's it's really something you need to think through a lot of times people expect their buildings and their emotions to go back to where they were and realistically it it changes nothing is ever the same unfortunately
0: and I imagine that's different for every single person, right? So it's really knowing your staff, maybe knowing your families to know some people might recover, recover in quotes, um, sooner than others. And so you wouldn't see that and that probably something you need to just kind of feel through as a leader.
1: Absolutely. You know, we we refer that it's the great flood of 2016 and and we tend to blame it. I hate to say blame, but it is the reason a lot of things have changed on our campus. And so, you know, we we talk about our campus in terms of pre-flood and post-flood and how it looks or how we used to do things.
0: So Cindy, we're kind of coming to the end of our time. Is there anything I haven't asked you about the book that you feel like you uh, really is important to share with, uh, with li- people listening right now?
1: I think we've covered a great deal of it. It's, it's, it's not a huge book. I tried to make it as underwhelming um, as possible because crisis planning is an overwhelming task. So you have to take it in, in tiny chunks and it, it, it's just super important. I came into leadership, thinking, you know, where are the keys to the janitor's closet, you know, the small things, and have built into this passion for knowing crisis planning. So I hope that it will be in the forefront of all leaders uh, when, when they start their school year.
0: Yes, that's great. The book is Crisis Planning for Catholic School Leaders, Protecting Schools in the 21st Century and Beyond. And it is filled with um, practical suggestions. Uh, we've obviously talked about a number of the sections uh, here on the podcast, but it's a great, uh, great book for uh, school leaders to have uh, for practical suggestions about how to build that crisis team to plan and to be ready for uh, the unexpected when it does take place. Um, Dr. Cynthia Riles, thank you so much for being uh, our guest today. Um, we uh, we wish you all the best in the coming uh, school year, and uh, and that uh, the crises are are, are limited <laughs> in, uh, in in the coming year. So, thank you so much, Cindy, for being with us.
1: Thank you. That's my prayer as well.
0: <laughs> thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us uh, for the NCA podcast. We will see you next time. This is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer. God bless.